Kia ora everyone. Welcome uh, back to the podcast. This morning I'm here with Ben King, co-founder and head of mechanical research and development at Boxfish Research. They're based here in Auckland, New Zealand, where they have now taken their uh, cutting edge underwater filming technology uh, to the world. Ben, thank you very much for taking the time uh, to sit here with us today and tell us a bit more about uh, the story and the journey of Boxfish. Where do you start a project like this? How did it all come about? I was talking to Craig just before the co-founder outside and he was saying how sort of roughly at the end of 2016 things were starting to take shape here. Yeah, g'day Harry, good to be with you today. Where do you start? I mean, I've had a long interest in field science and um, science in general. Um, my background is in organ transplants and um, biomedical engineering and I really was looking for a way to get out of the lab and do something different. And I literally stumbled across Craig um, down at the lake one day, tinkering with uh, open source. Which lake source, was that? Uh, just on the North Shore at Lake oh, Pupuki. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> and we'd both built the same uh, um, open source ROV kit uh, from <clears throat> that we got and uh, put it in the water. Um, and I just packed mine up and a little disappointed. And Craig turned up with another guy and, um, and that was you know, doing the same thing. And we said, oh, maybe we should put our heads together and um, do this properly. And so we started tinkering and yeah, one thing led to another and here we are. Wow, and so what was that sort of, so say if that was around 2016, you know, what, would, what did that first couple of years look like? Was that just all hard graph trying to get a prototype ready? Um, yeah, well, right at the beginning, we just toyed with concepts of something cool that we could build with a sort of bit of a focus on maneuverability and um, image quality um, and just doing it spare time really, um, working other jobs and doing a bit of this and a bit of that. And um, yeah, I think late 2015 actually, we had our first prototype operating. Wow. So yeah, I was actually quite early on in the journey really wasn't it mm. and so from 2015 what was kind of the strategy from there was it you know that you needed to do more and more R&D and develop the product more or was it okay we have a prototype now let's go and almost take it to the market and see what they think probably more the former than the latter um, yeah. creating a business around something that's a hobby is uh, is a big challenge yes, it <laughs> and um, I would say yeah, in the early years, we took a bit of a R&D approach and just carried on developing stuff, um, tinkering, um, yeah. and yeah. Well, I mean, know. were you still busy with this, these, you know, this you know, biomedical kind of engineering stuff? Um, you know, yeah, was that... a little bit. I was doing a bit, and I was helping some other startups here in Auckland and doing a, a bit of consulting work as well. Um, wow. So, and so, are you an engineer? Is that your background originally? Yeah. Yep. So what type, what's, uh, sort of, did you... Mechanical, mechanical, yeah, I studied in um, Christchurch originally and then I did an exchange That's over... That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Over, I did too. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, I did an exchange to Sweden and then I worked there in the medical for about 15 years um, on and off. Wow. And what, what, is, what is literally transplanting organs? Yeah, yeah. I specialised in um, heart, lungs initially and then wow. hearts um, and also... Worked a lot with uh, mechanical CPR, so doing um, doing chest compressions with a machine, which is now actually used here in New Zealand. Wow. 
that's uh, it's a pretty incredible journey to go from that field now into this <laughs> sort of I mean in a way obviously there are parallels there but it just they do seem like quite not, not polar opposite but going from uh, the, the hospital to the ice down in Antarctica uh, you know well <laughs> the way I see it is it's an enabling using technology to enable scientists to um, you know in, in this case scientists in that case medical professionals to do what was impossible before exactly. so it's um, is that, that what inspires you most about technology kind of thing um, yeah, I think so. I like to create things that allow people to push the boundaries. So, yep. And discover more, really. Mm, indeed. Well, that's a, a very nice lead on into our next sort of question. Uh, what, what role do you think tech plays uh, in sort of innovating science and taking it forward? The way I sort of see it is that science and technology are actually quite in interrelated in terms of how they um, interact with each other and they go forward together in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what, would your sort of, what are your comments on that, on that front? Yeah, I mean, basically my whole career has been around um, solving difficult technical challenges in order for scientists to um, take their ideas further. So I think it's, um, it's fundamental, actually, to... Um, to pushing the boundaries of, of knowledge and um, discovery. So um, I think it's, it's a actually key. And a lot of scientists um, I've observed um, tend to make do with what's closest at hand. And so often they're not reaching their full potential in their fields because their technological solutions don't always match with, um, with their ambitions. Exactly. One thing that you kind of uh, remind me of there as well is that that balance between uh, what you guys are doing here, which is in, a, in effect obviously private enterprise, but when you uh, have that ability to couple with, uh, you know, government organisations and science and things like this, uh, you know, you were down in Antarctica, uh, what was it, two years ago now, uh, you were down there uh, on the ice, literally, mm -hmm. uh, taking your, your, your technology down there. Um, could you tell us a bit more about, about your mission in Antarctica and your experience down at Scott Base? Yeah, so it was a pretty amazing opportunity to team up with um, Dr. Regina Isert um, uh, and to help her try and push the boundaries of understanding around how um, killer whales are behaving um, around and under the ice in Antarctica. And, you know, this is really um, pushing new ground um, to be able to actually have eyes under the water. And of course we jumped at the opportunity to port that. And we didn't have experience working yeah. in those conditions. Um, and so we really, yeah, dived in head first literally and yeah. um, had some really amazing results and learned a lot <clears throat> along the way. Yeah, I mean, it sounds, uh it sounds like you guys really, um, you know, in terms of a, an experience for research and development of your own technology, getting down to Antarctica and being able to test it in the toughest of conditions, you know, I mean, what kind of temperatures were those things operating in? Because, you know, in some instances, the water in Antarctica can actually be below freezing, obviously. Mm. So, yeah, what was the, the, you know, what were those challenges like? Well, you know, they create a lot of um, sleepless nights when you're planning and preparing. <laughs> Frozen um, fingers? Yeah, in in uh, in reality, you know, theory said everything should be fine, and in practice, it really was. Things performed really well. Wow, that's um, 
It's Which unusual. I know is not unusual. <laughs> Most people don't expect to get any results on their first season in, in, in Antarctica. Um, but we did put a heck of a lot of thought and energy into um, covering off those bases. Um, and we didn't have any major problems. In fact, the biggest problem we had was tied specifically to the water temperature because <clears throat> every day after being out on the ice edge, we brought the ROV back and put it in a big tub of fresh water to um, get the salt out. Yeah, of course. And uh, what we found was that um, the several hours it took to get from the lab to the ice edge, uh, everything would freeze to minus 15 or 20. And when we put it in the seawater, which was at minus 1.8, degrees right, the was, fresh yeah. water remains ice so we actually would have ice inside the motors and so the first time this happened i got Holy a real shock because it just start to, it, didn't start to sink to the bottom did it, it floats <laughs> well it's a very small amount but it's enough to stop the thrusters um running so the motors all um were Shut seized off. so to speak how did you how did you figure that out then you know was it was it on the spot did it take five minutes or uh it took me a few minutes to get my head around what was happening because several of them i they weren't all not working several were not working and i thought hmm that's super unusual and then after i realized okay there must be um something stopping them turning and then I realized it was, in fact, the, the freshwater ice, which wasn't immediately uh, thawing in seawater, which ultimately it did, um, just it, after a few minutes. But. Okay, so in a way it was quite, oh, well, that would have been almost even more confusing, though, right? Because it would have gone from not working uh, to then working. You know, it's almost better when things stay not working. You can take them out, diagnose it, figure it out. But yeah. ultimately it was, it was okay in the end, obviously. Yeah, yeah, it was no problem. And I, I worked it out pretty quick, and, um, you know, from then on it just, you you know leave it a few minutes in in the um in the seawater and it, and it will be fine so yeah oh well so uh, you know what made what gave that um experience uh so much um for lack of a better word here what made it so uh valuable for boxfish is the fact that you could test it under these kinds of conditions the boxfish has been obviously designed for so many different uh sort of places and, and things for it to do, uh, asset, ex asset inspection, oil and gas, marine science, tourism, cinematography, um, luxury super yacht stuff, um, customs and security, military and police, search and rescue, aquaculture, the list is, is <laughs> massive. Really, this piece of technology is just super, super versatile, isn't it? Uh, it is indeed, and that's a huge challenge uh, from a business perspective is, is choosing what to target. Um, exactly. And continues to be a challenge um, because, you know, you can't target everything all at once. No, um, no you've got to have your, you want to, you know, there's the classic decide who the market is and go for it, right? But yeah, the and so is fairly broad. Antarctica is extremely valuable um, for, for, for many perspectives, um, but for example, somebody in um, hydro asset inspection um, don't see really any value in that you've been to Antarctica with it and it worked well there. So, so these things have it's to be weighed the, up. And the value add that that kind of mission actually brings to the Boxfish brand really, isn't it? The fact yeah. that you guys have been trusted to go down um, and you know, with, with scientists and help them do their research. Totally, and the, the key is um, creating data gathering data or information that could be relevant to another industry and so we're always always looking for opportunities wherever we are whenever we deploy can we get some images of 
you know, that pile that's um, on that dock edge, even though there's whales going past just over there or whatever it is to try and create um, as, as much, uh, as broad a range of um, scenarios as possible. And so it was no different uh, in Antarctica. Yeah. Um, though mostly it was focused on um, the... Getting up close and the personal whales, with yeah. these beautiful whales. And so on that note, highs and lows of that whole... Because how many... You, you were out there doing it for, was it a week or two weeks, kind of heading out onto the Ice Edge platform? Um, no, it was what more did it than look that. like when we... you were heading out? Tell us about a usual day. Yeah, so days... We were on night shift um, for a number of reasons, um, partly so we had... Um, uh, full access to a helicopter. Um, the so, limited resources down there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we um, left Scott Base around um, 8 p.m., um, I believe. Yeah, around and, then. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we went by Jeep over to McMurdo. It's about a 10-minute drive. Yep. And loaded everything onto the chopper, got everything ready to go, um, and then we lifted around 10 uh, p.m. and flew out. Um, usually did a bit of a survey, you know, maybe 20 to 40 minutes in the air to Around see... Around the McMurdo kind of harbour region, see what, if you could find some fins, things like that. Yeah, we can see the whales, um, see what the icebreaker's doing, because ultimately the best spots are in the channel that the icebreaker creates to resupply McMurdo. Of course. And find the best spot, and then we also, you know, the biggest risk there is the... Um, the ice edge is constantly breaking the back. Shelf, yeah. yeah. So we have to look for um, cracks and we're only allowed, there's a whole bunch of protocols around where we were allowed to land. Because so. that was just sea ice, right? This yeah, isn't, this ice. isn't uh, glacial ice coming down no. from the mainland. This is ice that obviously uh, is recreated every winter. Yes. Well, sometimes it's multi-year, but in general, yeah. And so we were allowed to put down anywhere where the ice was 75 centimeters, centimeters. thick. So, did you have um, any close calls with that? <laughs> uh, well, we definitely did have to make some rapid retreats um, yeah, of course. on one particular occasion. <laughs> so we would put the helicopter down and stay, um, stay spun up and um, our safety guy, Tom, would jump out and measure the ice thickness. Right. And then if it was all good, we'd power down and unload and go to the ice edge. Would the helicopter stay there or would it take yep. the weight off and leave? Or it would no, no, it stayed, yep, yep. Um, and then we would do our thing. Um, which was more than just ROV work sometimes. And then, um, yeah, all in reverse, head home. What time would you be heading home? Um, between 2 and 5 a.m., I guess. But, of course, this was summertime still, right? Although yeah. it was lower light, hey? The, the sun was... Star I was lucky enough to actually be in Antarctica recording season one of this podcast uh, when Ben was down there. So I, this isn't the first time we met, which is awesome. Um, but it was the sun was obviously getting lower at those, uh, those yeah, early right. hours, but it wasn't setting, was it? No. So the sun was full sunlight, but it was definitely lower light um, at that time. And this was in uh, early to mid-Feb, right? Um, yeah, it was late Jan to early Feb kind of thing. Um, wow. That sounds like a fairly, you know, incredible experience. You know? Yeah, I it mean, was brilliant. You know, from, <laughs> again, from being, uh, you know, in the hospital, uh, for, you know, as an example, to then being on the ice and, and staying on the helicopter until the ice has been measured, you know, that must have been quite a surreal moment. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's been a it's been a lifelong dream to um, work in Antarctica since I was a, a small child. So oh, wow. 
was um it's it's a place of dreams that land isn't it yes it definitely lived up to all <laughs> expectations and so tell me because you know i've got a bit of insight here i know that you had quite an incredible interaction with 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 killer whales specifically one interaction in, in particular but how were those interactions uh, in general and, and were there any uh, one or two times that really stand out in your memories that you'll cherish um oh well Every interaction with with wild <laughs> animals is amazing, uh, particularly such um, large, um, majestic creatures like oh. whales is incredible. You described um, them well there. <laughs> yeah, it was challenging, you know, trying to be in the right spot at the right time with the gear in the water and this, the you know, all the factors had to align. Well, because really, um, you know, you're... You know, yes, you are the the engineer here, but at this time, you then also had to become the director of photography. Sure. <laughs> and I think one of the highlights was actually waiting for the whales to come and a huge, uh, I don't even know what it is. Is it a flock of penguins? I don't know. A yeah. bunch of penguins um, <laughs> yeah. turned up and we just had this huge sea of, um, of Adelie penguins, wow. like maybe uh, 200 all like shoot dancing under the water yeah right in front of us how deep was this or was this near the surface we were quite close to the surface maybe 20 meters down or something and they were just everywhere absolutely everywhere and i'm like underneath my picnic blanket to block the sun um, and i'm just like holy because oh oh, of course you're controlling this from the the unit the screen unit right yeah yeah so we're at the surface just on the ice edge and i'm like yelling like whoa this is yeah, crazy yeah. And, guys can yeah. they see this as well can the rest of the team see not this? really they yeah. see penguins popping out of the water and coming up because they congregate around us so wow. they just see them like just like popping oh, out of the water guys, you got to see this we know <laughs> so that was that was super cool and wow. then actually the um the life, sea life on the seafloor outside Scott Base, we did a bunch of dives um, just straight down, 100 metres out from the base. Wow. And how deep is it, uh, 100 metres out from Scott Base? It's about 70 metres deep, and um, the seafloor is just covered. It's, I uh, think, tropical reef kind of thing. Um, wow. You know, octopus. I had an octopus sucked right across the front of the ROV dome, and... Um, just an incredible diversity of life down there that is um, the closer in you zoom, the more detail there is. So That's it's incredible. Hey? Yeah, we've got, a, we've got a, a, a whole episode on benthic ecology as well from Antarctica, which we're very excited to share. But it's yeah, the sea floor. What did you see down there? Like what, what is on the sea floor of Antarctica? Oh, it's absolutely covered. There's sponges that are like half the size of a car. There's like... Um, yeah, as I said, octopus were one of my favorites. There's seals darting around. They really liked interacting with the vehicle. Wow. And of um, course, you've got a lot of bunches on footage. And, oh, yeah, we've got a lot of footage. You've got it all on footage. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, what, what do you guys do with that footage now? Is there, you know, is there a place where people can, can find any of this footage? Um, well, there's quite a lot of it on our website. Um, awesome. Yeah. And, and that's uh, boxfish.co.nz or boxfish.com? Yeah, uh, boxfish.nz. Boxfish.nz, there you go. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, well, and so there must have been a low at some point. We've, we've gone through the, the machine briefly breaking down, but were there any, you know, what was the biggest sort of challenge? Like, you know, what's, what was the pain there? I, you know, when I think about it from my, from my experience on the ice, it, it genuinely was frozen fingers. I, <laughs> just getting shots and all that, um, they really did start to freeze after a while. Could you, um, could you operate things with gloves? Yes. Yep. No issues with that. Um, I've spent quite a lot of time in cold places, so um, that all worked out really well. Um, probably the the low point. We actually had no 
um, technical issues that were, um, which was amazing because I brought like the kitchen sink expecting to do repairs and whatever. Right, right. Didn't use any of it. But um, the biggest low was um, being at the ice edge um, and there was a huge pod of whales coming along and we'd go to put the ROV in the water and there's a little... Killer um, whales? Yeah. Yep. There's a little lip of ice that goes out about three meters from the edge. That's So there's sort of a half meter deep pool yeah, yeah, yeah. and then there's this lip at the other end so a we put the RV, yeah so we put the rov in but we could not get over the lip at the other end because it was too far out to reach with oh. anything so you were just stuck so we we're just stuck and the whales all just cruise oh. majestically right past us and we're just standing there going right wow so that was a bit sad but that was kind of that's just the way it goes. The yeah. conditions are tough and um, you have to work around what's what you've got in front of you at the time. And obviously uh, Regina's probably the best person to talk to about this kind of stuff. And, and again, in season one, there's an episode with Regina where you can learn all about killer whales. But, you know, what were some of the things that, that you did learn? You know, if you can comment on any of that, you know. Um, I mean, from a scientific perspective, it's a bit... Um, beyond my scope i don't yeah, i don't yeah, actually yeah. know i haven't i haven't because was it, behave, it was it behavioral yeah we were trying to capture i mean the the holy grail would have been to see them actually hunting or diving at depth but um you know in the first the first season we didn't get an opportunity to to explore that the whales didn't congregate as much as they have done in other other years which meant we spent a lot more time chasing and waiting than we would have liked um so oh, that's the nature of it as well though, exactly it? so yeah but we we got some really great footage and certainly um and it's that footage that you know will then further grant whether whether you're a an established researcher, a researcher or even a a, a a child at school who wants to learn more about killer whales someday you know because there's this footage out there they get this new perspective with the killer whales that is is new yeah, absolutely. So that was pretty cool. Oh, you must be pretty. Uh, you must be pretty chuffed there with with you know uh, how things are going and that whole experience in general. Oh yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a highlight of the journey thus far, and um, yeah, more to come. I hope. Yeah, yeah. So what is in the what is in the future plans for Boxfish at this point with regards to um, being able to collaborate with science and scientists, maybe. Um, yeah, just more of the above, really. Um, we really feel like we've created a platform that opens new opportunities, um, and we're pushing that in many different directions that just take that even further. Um, <clears throat> and we've got people using our gear to to do a lot more of that kind of stuff. So of we're course. just um, yeah, 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 just yeah. running with it. Hey, hmm. doing your best, trying more, bigger, deeper, <laughs> yeah, deeper, exactly. So, so let's. I mean, we could talk about some specs quickly because on it says you know uh, you can go between three hundred to a thousand meters on the website, but then you even say and beyond. Is that just a matter of how much cable? No, there is no, <laughs> absolutely not. This is this is when we're at those kinds of depths, we're getting into some serious pressure, right? Yeah, that's the concern, is it? Yeah, absolutely. Leaks within the unit. Well, it's not so much leaks. It's a, it's about structural failure, really. right? Like um, okay, because what's the thing made out of mostly? Uh, a range of materials, a but a whole lot of materials. Aluminium is the main. The pressure vessel is made from. 
Um, we just did a dive last week to um, over 700 meters. Wow. So that was pretty Where cool. Where was that? Um, just, just out off the North Island. Okay, right. Yeah, Interesting. Out, out from Auckland? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So that's pretty cool to finally get down that deep and, um, and prove that that's possible. <laughs> yeah. So. I, you guys, I think you, it'd be some incredible, because obviously um, one of the environments in New Zealand at the moment that's of uh, great debate and it's actually quite a, well, a very sad story is the Hauraki Gulf and what's mm. going on there. We've got functionally extinct species. We've got fully degrading um, fish stocks. I feel like this kind of technology could be so useful in, in helping to further understand what could actually be done um, in trying to save the Hauraki Gulf. Um, yeah, absolutely. Having eyes under the water and understanding that stuff is, is, is helpful for that cause. Oh, and uh, in and itself, it's not going to uh, save the... Um, no, save but it, it seems but our, you know, it seems the way we can only save things these days is through, you know, as they say, through information gathering and knowing what we know and knowing how to protect that and creating laws around that. That's the structure yeah, that we and, have to work with. And public understanding, you know, for exactly. people to know what's down there. So well, I mean, to be, to be able to create this kind of footage that can also have the opportunity to be publicly viewed and enjoyed. Yep. Really, that's, that's super important for the whole idea of conservation. Absolutely. It's a, this one's a bit of a cheeky question. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to ask it, but how much is one of these things going to set you back? I know they're very custom built specifically, but you know, where's the rough ballpark for where this thing will cost you setting up? Hey, I mean, there could be a potential customer uh, <laughs> listening right now. Um, yeah, you're, you're looking at... Uh, somewhere around 120 to upwards, 120,000 dollars. Yeah. How specified you, know, you need it. Yeah, what, what depth, its end use is going what through. Add-ons, what cameras, and all the other. Wow. We're building one at the moment that has um, seven cameras on board. So. Oh my gosh! And so, what's that? What's that for? Well, of course, that's a bit confidential. But uh, uh, yeah, just seven cameras. Yeah, is so that 360 then as well? No, but the cameras are used for doing some really um, precise um, 3D modeling of objects. So. Wow, because of course we haven't even touched on the fact that boxfish research, obviously they do these ROVs, which stands for remote operated vehicles, right? Yeah, it's just an industry name that really doesn't have any direct... <laughs> no, no, it's good. <laughs> but then you're also dabbling in, in fields like 360. Yeah, we've done 360 for three and a half years, I think. Um, just uh, was a side project originally, um, but it's actually been quite a good complement for us. And um, yeah, we were actually to, able to deploy that down to um, 700 meters last week as well. So we were able to capture the ROV doing its thing um, at 700 meters. On 360. On 360, which was pretty cool. Wow, that sounds yeah. like a, a pretty sweet little uh, what day trip. Was it? Oh, it was Overnight? several days. Yeah. Oh, several days. Mm. Out on a boat, research mm. boat of some kind, or just... Yeah, just a work boat. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, okay, well, Ben, I think we've, uh, we've covered a few um, incredible areas there. Uh, if there's, is there anything you'd like to kind of uh, say to, to finish off on? Well, I think uh, we've pretty much dived in deep and, yeah, covered most things. Um, so <laughs> thanks for it was a great taking the time. <laughs> it was great fun. We never do them on purpose, though, do we? I never do any pun on purpose. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thanks for taking the time to learn and listen. 
more information about the episode and guest can be found in the show notes for those interested. And please leave a review if you've enjoyed tuning in. Subscribe to Antarctica Unfrozen wherever you listen to keep up to date on new guests, topics and ideas of the icy environmental kind. This season was made possible thanks to Pride Conservation, a boutique social enterprise from Aotearoa, New Zealand, on a mission to contribute to the conservation movement both here at home and globally. For more information and to help be part of the movement, check out www.prideconservation.co.nz. That's it for now. I'm Sinead Monty. And I'm Harry Seeger. And, and until, until next, next time, time, stay cool. Stay cool.